My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three, pastor, scholar, author, an all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed autistic. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast, where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and theology, all through the lens of someone loving, learning, leading, while living with a disability. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. An 18-year-old white male has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder for a mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York, in what authorities called an act of racially motivated violent extremism. Authorities say at least 10 people have been reported dead from the shooting, which took place in a predominantly black neighborhood in Buffalo on Saturday afternoon. The suspect was armed with an assault-style rifle and body armor when he opened fire in the parking lot while live-streaming the attack on Twitch. Officials said 11 of the 13 people struck by gunfire were black and that the attack would be investigated both as a hate crime and an act of racially motivated violent extremism under federal law. Documents attributed to the suspect have been circulating online, including a to-do list for the attack, as well as a 180-page manifesto alleging that minorities are replacing white people worldwide. If convicted, the suspect faces a maximum penalty of life in prison without parole. This is Lamar Hardwick, the Autism Pastor, and you're listening to the Autism Pastor Podcast. It's been over a year since our last episode, and a lot has transpired since then. I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer, and after nearly a year of chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery, I am proud to say that I am now cancer-free. Now, I plan to take some time this season to share more about that journey, but for now, This is Season 2, Episode 1, Slaves Without Masters, Part 1. And in this series of episodes, we will be examining the connection between race, religion, and disability in American history. And we will begin the conversation about how addressing racism ultimately requires us to address America's ableist history. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Autism Pastor Podcast. You know, the next few months, actually the next few years, uh, will be a busy time for me. In addition to my duties as a pastor, I'm now also a PhD student at Union Institute and University in Cincinnati, Ohio. Among the many reasons I chose UI and U was the Martin Luther King Jr. Legacies Study Specialization. 
So in addition to focusing my studies on ethics, I'm excited to engage in studying the legacy and philosophy of Dr. King, particularly as it relates to the role and influence of religion in issues of social inequities. So for me, that means researching the intersection of disability, race, and religion. Even prior to enrolling at UINU, I was beginning independent research into this area. And over the last year, I've had the privilege of sharing my research through consulting and conferences across the country. And periodically during these podcast episodes, I'll share more about where I'll be speaking across the country. So if you're looking to better understand the link between disability and race, a great book to read is The Mark of Slavery, Disability, Race and Gender in Antebellum America. So over the next few episodes, I'll be sharing a brief synopsis of chapter four of this book. The Mark of Slavery, Disability, Race and Gender in Antebellum America is a book published by the University of Illinois Press in 2021. And the book is one in a series of books called Disability Histories, edited by Kim Nielsen and Michael Rimbus. Disability Histories examines the lived experience of persons with disabilities by engaging in disability narratives from a broad range of cultures, time periods, and geographic locations. And the author of this particular book is Jennifer L. Barclay, Dr. Jennifer L. Barclay, who is an assistant professor of history at the University of Buffalo. And Dr. Barclay's fields of interest include African-American history, history of slavery and emancipation, disability, medicine, and science, as well as gender and sexuality. And she holds a PhD from Michigan State University and is the recipient of several awards, including the postdoctoral fellow in African-American studies from Case Western Reserve University. The Mark of Slavery examines the often overlooked impact of racism and ableism in shaping American history. In the antebellum period, slavery and white supremacy were often justified by linking blackness to disability and dependency. And this book does a great job of examining the narratives that depicted enslaved Africans with disabilities as monstrous or comical and such narratives were not only used to defend slavery, but also by radical abolitionists who opposed the institution of slavery. Now, chapter four of the book is named after the now infamously published defense of slavery by George Fitzhugh. And that was entitled Cannibals All or Slaves Without Masters. And it argues that slavery is, in fact, humane when considered over and against the free labor system of the North. Barclay writes, Fitzhugh's strategic use of the disabled slave illuminates the political efficacy of discursively linking disability with blackness to mobilize political support for slavery, a practice that substituted representation for reality and flatten the contours of disabled people's diverse experiences. Dr. Barclay strategically presents these ideas throughout the book, and in chapter four, she addresses the three primary ways that disability and blackness were linked in efforts to influence the institution of slavery. The first section in chapter four is called Insane Humanitarians and the Peculiarities of Negroes. 
and talks about disability, rationality, and the objectivity in pro-slavery thought. In this section, the author engages the pro-slavery position of the positive good argument. And she begins with an acknowledgement of the complex history of pro-slavery thought, which has a complex history in the United States and continue to absorb and develop new ideas over time. And this can be seen in its attempts over the years to utilize religious rhetoric, economic and political arguments for the necessity of slavery, including the use of the Constitution to make the case for the benefits of slavery. In the decade prior to the Civil War, national pro-slavery arguments absorbed the ideology of the pro-slavery arguments deeply embedded in the southern regions of the country. The late 1830s marked the emergence of the positive good thesis popularized by Senator John C. Calhoun, who embraced the notion that racial slavery was a benevolent act and not a necessary evil. His arguments drew on the already existing religious, economic and political arguments and expanded those ideas to create a few a view of racial slavery that centered this practice on the kindness and charity of the slaveholder. Included in Calhoun's approach to pro-slavery were the beginning stages of using disability imagery as a means to associate the slaveholder with acts of benevolence toward enslaved Africans who otherwise had no capacity to care for themselves due to disability. Some 20 years later, Calhoun's speech and his use of disability imagery and rhetoric would serve as a foundation for Fitzhugh's less nuanced version of the positive good argument. For Fitzhugh, the positive good argument would evolve from simply being an act of charity on the part of the slaveholder to using disability imagery to assert a sense of enslaved being extremely content, even happy with their status as slaves and the conditions under which their labor was produced. Like Calhoun, Fitzhugh's argument was based on an undercurrent of ableism by using disability as a vehicle to make arguments for the ethical view of racial slavery in the United States. In doing so, Fitzhugh laid a platform for a rationale that would connect able-bodiedness to labor and thus implying that the slave were content because despite their disability, they were cared for by their slaveholders and given the stability and privilege of labor. Pro-slavery advocates also lean heavily on disability imagery when directly addressing the opposition of abolitionists. They ridicule and denounce abolitionists as insane humanitarians who, according to one Southerner, William McDonald, ultimately belong to one of two classes. This is a quote, the lunatics and the knaves. The use of disability imagery as something undesirable became central to the rhetoric of the positive good ideology. Because it centralized charity, pity, shame, and even distrust as it pertained to abolitionists as an ethical, moral, and religious issue that bound the nation to an obligation to slavery, not merely as an institution, but as a conviction 
by a sense of their religious duty. The next episode, I'll share part two of a synopsis of Slaves Without Masters as we continue to explore the history and connection between race, disability, and religion, and how ableist notions of enslaved Africans as being disabled contributes and continue to contribute to the ways in which we are still dealing with issues of race in our country. So next time we'll share more about Barclay's work and developing conversation on how in order to address the real issues of race in our country, we've got to make sure that we understand how disability and ableism plays a factor in race in America. What I'd like you to do if you enjoy this podcast is to go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give a positive review and also share this podcast with your friends. And then you can go into the show notes from this episode where I'll put a link to Dr. Barclay's book and we will continue to discuss it in our next episode. So that's all for episode one, Slaves Without Masters, part one. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Autism Pastor podcast. Podcast.